0: Let's get it going on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Stiles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Stiles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. The show is on Twitter at Lothunderpod. Email the show, Lothunderpod at gmail.com. Call into the show, all 5362 7128 On today's show brought to you by Locker Room Changing the Way. We talk about sports. We're going to dive into the NBA draft as the Thunder have lost a, a lot of games since the last time that we've last talked to Richard Stamen, our draft expert host of the Lockdown NBA Draft podcast. We're going to dive into the top five of this class, the future of this Thunder roster, and we're going to do our weekly three spins on tankathon.com. But Richard, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, I'm doing very well. You know, the Mavs recently won, the Thunder won and the Magic lost. so uh can't really complain.
0: I think that the Thunder winning has a mixed reaction <laughs> in this one base for sure. Uh, but I, I just want to start with the Thunder current roster as an outsider, not looking and somebody who's not necessarily emotionally attached to any of these players. Uh, I'm of the belief that when you view this Thunder team, they only have to look for the best possible player available. They don't have to look for fit. They don't have to look for scheme. They just have to look for, who is the best talent that gives us the best chance of having a franchise changing league, changing talent, that kind of talent is what they're looking for because the foundation of this team with SGA, with Lou Dort, with Darius Baisley, with tail Alexey Alex, with the foundation of this team, all those guys are so versatile and can fit so many other roles that you don't have to shoehorn anybody, any place. It can just be organic of just get the best guy in here. And let the pieces fall where they may. If SGA needs to be a point guard, he's shown this year he can be a point guard. If he needs to play more off ball, he's shown last year he can thrive off the ball as well. So like that's kind of the biggest example is SGA. You have a number one or number two option in SGA that you do not have to conform your roster around that can kind of fit around everybody else. But what would be your take on this Thunder roster? If I made you Sam Presti today, who are you looking at and who are you trying to draft around, so to say? Who are you trying to build around? And do you target a specific type of player, like a big man or a guard or a shooter, or do you target just the simply best player that you can possibly get at your selection?
1: Yeah, I think at the top, you always go best player available, almost regardless of fit, unless you are in a weird situation. Like, for example, last year, I obviously the talent didn't match this ability, but uh, to do this, but like with the Warriors, right? You know, they were supposed to get Klay Thompson back, unfortunately, towards to Achilles. Um, right before. So like that would have been an interesting situation where you had three all-star caliber players. You're probably wanting a role player, which I imagine is why they chose James Wiseman. But um, if if you're not in that situation, you should probably be taking best player available. I really don't think, and, and actually like what makes it so good for Oklahoma City is like, I don't think they need to take a certain role because everyone who is in that core of theirs, there's like three, four guys, maybe all are versatile at least on one end of the floor and can play multiple roles that's you know both versatile as in being different positions and playing different roles so i think that's a really favorable um advantage that they have going forward
0: and so from where you're at right now and you're not as emotionally attached to these guys who is your can't part with player on this roster is there a player that under no circumstances would you part for of course if you can get a guy like Luca, you'd trade anybody, but of a realistic trade package, who is not even remotely touching the trading block? Are there players like that for you that are, cannot touch in that scenario?
1: I mean, it has to be just SGA. There's a, there's probably one guy who I would put close just because I'm so confident in him, but it's, I, I, I would probably say that it starts with SGA and probably ends with him. The closest would be, and this is purely banking on, the upside really coming into fruition, which I still fully believe just because he's so far ahead of where he was supposed to be a year ago, which is Poku. I think he is really sniffing towards that. But other than that, there's really nobody who I would put as an untouchable.
0: I think that Poku, his box scores have not necessarily shown it. So if you're somebody that's not watching these games uh, and you're just looking at his box scores recently, you're not seeing the flashes that he's showing you on the court night in and night out, even in misses, he's doing things like, creating his own jump shot. Although he missed the jump shot, eventually those shots are going to fall for him as he gets later on in his NBA career. It's so the fact that he can create for himself. That's the big touch point, which doesn't show up in those box scores. But for you, you mentioned how far ahead he is uh, of where we thought he'd be thinking that, you know, Fran Fashilla, I've always used him as an example, because he's kind of the international guy that ESPN leans on. And he made the, the joke that Poku's four years away from being four years away. Like this is a guy that was rumored not to come over by some people And then we already know that Thunder was going to bring him over, but other teams might not have brought him over right now. And this has got it sleeping straight from the second division in Greece. He's shown NBA flashes, especially since the G League bubble. What have you seen from him? And has your projection on him changed at all for what role you view him in the NBA? And what is that role that you view for him in the NBA? If everything clicks for him?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, my perception 100% has changed the ability to be, Just this good, this early really surprises me. I had Poku at 20th on my board just because I thought the first three years since the draft, like by 2023, that he would have been so irrelevant. But that has changed so much because I fully believed in the upside. You know, I just thought it would be a very long ways away. And I do think that those three years does uh, have impact in the league. But very clearly, that's not an issue. So he skyrocketed on my potential redraft. Um, I, I just, you kind of said it best. Like for him, there's a lot of guys, I do this with draft, you know, scouting is you don't watch for what happens, like it makes or misses. That's not how you evaluate upside and down. That's just simply not because makes and misses are, if you think about it at this high of a level, it's almost luck, especially if you're shooting open shots. Uh, now, if you're shooting outlier on one way or the other, it probably means something, but you watch the approach for him, and it's just so clear that he gets it and that eventually shots will fall. Like, missing shots does not make you a bad player. Huge misconception, I think. And uh, I, I think that if you watch some of his plays, like, some of his passes are just incredible. The vision he has, the tools he has, I think they all just come together. And also, if you, the turnovers, they're an issue. But And honestly, they're frankly – some of them can be just straight up, like, funny how he – turns it over because he's just so skinny and it really affects him. But things like that are just so fixable that I don't worry about it.
0: I'm just so interested in him moving forward because we saw a real intangible progression that you don't often get to see right before your eyes of, of a player that went through a struggle at the start of the year. And then just all of a sudden turns a corner and in real time is progressing with you. And it only took the G league bubble. That was really only a couple months old. And then he came back a whole new player. So Giving him a full off season to work with, uh, you know, giving him NBA coaching staffs and giving him all these resources this off season, he could come back next year and instead of having some sophomore slump, could be a totally different player and, and a unique player. So I think that his progression is very fascinating. Uh, you know, another rookie tail Maldon, who's been really good throughout the you know entire year, hit a rookie wall a bit the last two weeks, but is starting to trend back in the right direction. What what would you say that your expectation level is for? Teo Maldon, because I think that there's kind of one group that says he's a sixth man and one group that says he's a future starting guard. Where are you at with him? Because I think that he is best fit for a sixth man role, not because he's a talent that can't be a starter. I think that he's a talent to be a starter in different scenarios and in different spots. But for a great team, for a team that's going to be trying to compete and trying to win championships, if he's your sixth man, if he's the one that's kind of steadying your second unit and, and allowing you not to have that substantial drop off from your five to your bench five, that's a huge benefit and can be the difference maker in you being a top seed and a, and a championship threat and you being, you know, a bottom of the playoff type of team and not really in that championship hunt. So where do you see Tail kind of lining out from what you've seen his rookie year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've talked about this before. I'm, I'm a believer in his starter upside. I don't know how much upside he has as a starter, but I do think that he crosses that line of being a ben- uh, from bench player to starting caliber. I, I just... I think especially when you put him next to SGA, I think long-term they really play off each other well. His ability to potentially spot up at a high level, his ability to also just run a simple pick and roll. I, I really like all of that. Those were my selling points for him in the draft process too. And I think he'll be just fine defensively. I honestly haven't evaluated his defense in the NBA enough. Has that been a, has that been a notable spot one way or the other or is it been kind of neutral?
0: For me, it's been notable a in the positive direction. I think that for me, I saw a lot of people complaining about his athleticism or lack thereof in the pre-draft process, and his ability to have smart plays where he's getting into the passing lanes and he's you know stopping backdoor cuts and things like that off ball. have been very encouraging for me. Uh, I think that all in all, his defenses can be considered a plus for the way he for where he's at in his career.
1: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Then it probably he probably won't ever be worse than like a neutral defender most games. So, I mean, yeah, I think he's a starter. I, I think he was one of the, he was the third guy who I was going to, I wouldn't put him untouchable just because his role is pretty simple, but I think his play is very hard to replace. His production and play will be hard to replace.
0: So one untouchable that that you don't necessarily have right now. And again, I, I love doing this exercise with somebody who's not kind of emotionally invested in players is Lou Dort. Do you, with his contract and with, with the bargain he's on, what do you think of Ludort's offense? Because it's really come along recently since his injury. I mean, he's averaging you know, 22 points a night, and at one point he was averaging 28.5 points per night uh, since the injury. You know, what do you view his offense? Is that kind of circumstantial for you of just, hey, there's no SGA, there's no Al Horford, somebody has to put the ball in the hoop? Or are these kind of things that, he can, that you can bank on him doing and, and scoring better and being a more complete offensive player? Because we're seeing him – create for himself uh, in the mid-range. We're seeing him finish better at the rim recently. And so if he can continue to finish better and continue to progress at, at finishing around the rim and can also get to that elbow jump shot the way he has recently, if he can put those two things together with the recently you know, recent success of him spot up shooting threes and, and if he can put all that together whenever SGA returns, he can unlock a new level of his game to where he turns into maybe even a two-way player. Or, or do you think that this is all kind of a mirage because of the circumstances of this team?
1: A little bit of both, uh, to be quite honest. But I don't think that – I think of something that people really forget because they didn't – Lou Dort was an unknown before last year, really before the bubble. Um, Something that people forget with him is that at Arizona State, defense was a strength, but it wasn't his selling card. Like, his ability to get to the rim was probably his best trait, that was at least for me, but he couldn't finish at the rim, which was why I had him so low. I was like, well, you know, someone at his size he should be able to finish – And it looks like he's gotten better at finishing. I don't know what his numbers are at the rim this year. I probably should have looked this up um, a minute ago. But I I think that his offense will come around to be like where you don't – I don't know what his three-point shot will be. Like I'm going to be 100% honest. I don't know if that will ever come around. That might be a fluke. But his overall offense, I do think there is some hope there. He's not like Roberson where he can't do anything on offense besides cut and maybe take a dead open three. I I think he's the kind of guy who will be able to drive to the rim. That was a big strength of his in college. So I can't see why that part isn't real, you know.
0: So coming up, I want to get into the NBA draft and the top five of this draft. What is all this for? What are all these losses piling up for? Well, it's because of how great the NBA draft is. But first, want to tell you right now about our good friends over at RockAuto.com. RockAuto.com is a family-owned business serving you auto parts online for 20 years. That's right, 20 years ago. It probably couldn't work the internet properly. You know, I mean, you just had dial-up internet, the phone would ring, the internet would stop working. It was a mess. But yet, that same 20 years ago, you could have gone to RockAuto.com. Since I was three years old, you could have been going to RockAuto.com, a family-owned business serving you all the parts your car could ever need. My favorite part about RockAuto.com is I know nothing about vehicles, absolutely nothing. And I don't have to know anything about vehicles. What I have to know is my make, my model, my year into their database. And they're only gonna show me car parts that are compatible with my vehicle on their great website, great database. I just put that information in and they'll spit back to me all the parts I can use, everything that's compatible. I don't have to know measurements. I don't have to know anything about any of these parts. I just have to buy them and not waste my time, effort, or money on buying parts I cannot use, parts that I do not need, it's perfect for me, a car novice. It's also perfect for maybe you, a car expert. Uh, it's, it's great. It's a, a humongous tool to use. RockAuto.com. When you go there right now, tell them that Locked On sent you and the how did you hear about a box and they'll know what to do from there. RockAuto.com. Amazing selection. Reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com.
2: No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. they file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. So we're back on Locked On Thunder on the Locked On Podcast Network,
0: your teams every day. I'm Rylan Siles talking with the host and the NBA draft expert, the host of Locked On NBA Draft, Richard Staman. And Richard, the top five looks very good this year. This is not the problem that we had last year. Like It seems like we have solidified the five names that will go in this top five, and it starts with Cade Cunningham. Is he still the crown jewel for you this draft, and how good is he going to be? Like, like how – is your expectation for how great he can be on the NBA floor?
1: Yeah, he's going to be my number one prospect. He's going to go number one. Uh, That is a lock. And for me, I I went on the Rockets locked on, uh, which I I realize can be a little bit of a conflict of interest going on, uh, you know, Rockets and Thunder in this tank race. But uh, we talked to Cade Cunningham and we talked about how, you know, his worst case scenario pretty much is he might be a starter. That's like an okay starter, which, if if you're being real, an okay starter um is outstanding of the floor. He's a three level score. He's really sound defensively. He will be a big at the least a neutral defender, which in my opinion, if you're not a negative on defense, you're a positive. That's always how I've looked at it. Um, like even if you're at a zero, I think that's way better than being negative. Just the impact of being negative just is awful. So he can do everything on the floor. I I really don't see a way he fails barring a freak, you know something like yips or some uh, bad injuries. I mean, that's the only way that he's not going to live up to the hype, something out of your control.
0: And so you're the draft expert. You can check me here. But for me, you know, what, what excites me the most is that if you're excited about Cade Cunningham right now at a high squad of college, if you're, if you're projecting all these great things for him, which I think everyone is, I think that his game is only going to get better because he wasn't somebody who lived off the highlight plays. And in fact, I think that the college game hurt him more than it helped him in terms of the spacing and the way that the game's played in college uh, to where I think he can look even better than what he looked at college. It's not always the case for these top kind of athletes and top guys that go through the college rank. So I'm excited to see his progression once he finally gets that spacing and finally gets into a play style in the NBA, that's more conducive to his skill set. because I, I don't think that the high school game or the college game was necessarily uh, that fit for his specific traits and talents. So I think that the biggest hope is, wow, this guy's going to actually get to play somewhere where he fits in and where he, he's going to get to show off everything he can truly do.
1: Yeah. And it's crazy because, you know, we talk about him. He's the best pastor in the class, getting only average three and a half assists. And something I always preach is like, look, you can't control your teammates hitting open shots or not. Like, especially in college, just open shots don't fall at the rate they do in the NBA and a lot of – the best thing I've ever heard about Cade is, you know, his ability – his uh, excuse me, his best passes are probably going to be the ones – this was in November. Or his best passes are going to be the ones that don't turn into an assist, and it completely turned out this way. So if you're looking at just box score, yeah, his game doesn't look like it'll translate that well. He only averaged 26-3, and three, which for a number one pick is underwhelming. But then you look at the college face, and he always faced a double team. You know, he didn't have great teammates. The team – I mean, he really carried that team to a four seed – so I, I do think he will I agree with you he will get completely better at, with the NBA game just by being there he's going to be better. So if that outside makes sense. of
0: injury uh makes sense for sure. Outside of injury or like just something unheard of what is the clear cut weakness for Cade Cunningham right now? Like what's the biggest question mark around him? If you had to just assign something to him and of course you're putting the floor at a really an okay starter and that's a great floor. I mean most players floors are not that high. But what is that question mark that will be kind of the deciding factor between a great number one option that can lead a franchise versus an okay starter.
1: Um, so there's two, there's two flaws that I have, or not even flaws. Um, there's two cons I have on his first cons. The first one is that he doesn't always blow by defenders. He doesn't have that blow by ability. Not the worst thing though. A lot of one-on-one scores don't. It's a big misconception. I think being able to trick and deceive your defender is more important almost at this point. Seeing like Luka Doncic every game. The other thing is, and this is such a fixable thing, and even then the flaw isn't that big of a deal. It doesn't really like change the game that much as people think because if you look at a lot of the high-usage players, they all have this in common. He struggles with turnovers, and he'll probably continue to struggle with turnovers for the first couple of years. Not the worst thing in the world.
0: Is the top five after Cade kind of solidified to you? Because it certainly seems like from everything that I'm reading is that it's kind of just Evan, the Jalens, and then Kaminga. Like, what does the top five look like for you? And who could be that guy that maybe shakes it up in the pre-draft process that really tests out well, grades out well, and and can kind of leap up? Maybe it's Kaminga with his body and his frame. What's the top five look like beyond Cade?
1: Yeah, so I actually don't have the consensus top five. Um, I bumped down, and it's not a knock on him. Uh, Even though I do obviously have concerns, I I was more easily able to rank this guy up because of uh just how I think he has the best offensive upside in the class but my fifth ranked player is James Book Knight from UConn I just think he's an overall complete offensive player reminds me a lot of Zach Levine uh similarities they're not one-to-one but he has a lot of shades of him great athlete I think the jump shot will improve it needs to be a little bit smoother but can score from anywhere um kind of a combo guard kind of not the playmaking is a bonus but He probably does have the best offensive upside in the entire class. That's where I would put it. That includes Cade Cunningham. So I would put him as the guy who could shake things up because he's my fifth ranked player. Jalen Green is six. Um, And then just to kind of round out my top 10 and not all these are pure upside picks. And I know there's a couple guys missing from the consensus, but uh, I got Jalen Green, Scotty Barnes, Moses Moody, Trey Mann, and then Jeremiah Robinson Earl, which I know like the last two are not the sexiest takes, but, um i I think that there's a lot of upside in this class and really the 11 to 20 range has all the upside guys uh on my board
0: oh i want to circle back to jeremiah robertson earl but but first (laughs) you've knocked down Jalen green who is my guy i I love Jalen green i i have i really like his game why is why is that that green kind of gets knocked down because with Kaminga, when people knock him down they just cite the shooting and kind of move on but you're knocking down green what's what is it that you like and don't like about Jalen Green?
1: Yeah. So again, it's not really a knock on him that I'm moving him down. I just really do like Book night more, but they're obviously as with any players, he does have flaws. And I do think that, um, for someone who relies on athleticism, like he does, like he is the best athlete in the class. It's not a debate. He's far and away to his own tier. He needs to use that athleticism in order to thrive. Right. So if he doesn't have the ball handling to blow by guys, he kind of still has a loose ish handle. um, Doesn't know how to break guys down one-on-one. I think it looked better than it actually is in the G League just because of how bad defense is there. So I I think that's a big area for improvement. I think if he can't improve his ball handling, that will limit his use of athleticism, which therefore really hurts his stock. Um, He needs to improve smoothness on the jumper. That'll come in time. That's not really a big deal. And then defense, I don't see him being a positive for quite a bit on the defensive end. Um, So he would have to have the offensive upside hit pretty quick to neutralize that.
0: You really hurt me there. I love Jalen Green's game. I really
1: enjoy oh, it, but I, you're, you're talking to a big fan of his too. Don't worry. Like, I mean, I, he was my number two guy before, uh, before the season started. I loved him in high school, but he, he does have areas to work on, you know?
0: But You threw a wrench at me real quick, just like you did with the Kevin Durant thing and Evan Mobley oh, right there. And
1: then you <laughs> bring
0: up Jeremiah Robinson Earl, it, it feels like I've heard about Jeremiah Robinson Earl for 10 years and he's only a sophomore Uh, and I've seen him on boards in the lottery. I've seen him on boards, not even crack the top 60. Like, and Mm -hmm. it just, he varies so much. What is it about Jeremiah Robertson that's so polarizing?
1: Yeah. So I think it's the, a lot of people want more upside out of him, which I get, I fully understand that. I, my take is that every year I put a guy, probably higher than he deserves. It's just kind of my thing where I know that they're going to pan out better than people think just because his floor is so high. I tweeted out, I think it was either last week or Monday, something like that, where, you know, he's the most mistake free player I've watched in years. He doesn't, he just, I hate this phrase, what I'm about to say, I hate it, but he plays the game like the right way. You know, he is literally that, like when people say that corny line, that is him. He, doesn't get turnovers he, he averaged one and a half this year despite taking you know 12 and a half shots the ball was in his hands a lot and he doesn't turn it over his defensive flaws are physical based which he can't guard ones and twos that's really it. like that's not the worst thing in the world for a four or five and i i just feel like the jump shot will be better than it was you know he shot 28 percent, but if you take out like a three game sample size where he took like Combine eight shots, it goes up to like 34%. So it's a very volatile three-point percentage. I don't know. I completely buy the shot. I think he's a well-rounded player with an unbelievable IQ, and his ability to fail is almost – I just don't see it. I don't see how he fails in this league.
0: So I, I want to live in a fantasy world real quick because that's just kind of what we have to hold on to in the midst of losing 14 straight games before they snap it in Boston. Right now, I'm going to say a Thunder get picks one and five. They leap up to one. Houston falls to five. And I'm going to tell you right now that Oklahoma city takes Cade Cunningham and whoever gets number two takes Evan Mobley, but we get to control by some wackiness. We get to control picks three and four. So everyone's available for us. We can decide who we want besides Cade, where you have Cade and Mobley of Jalen Suggs of Jalen green, Jonathan Kaminga, James Boog of <laughs> any of these other players. If you could hand pick who you pair with Cade Cunningham beyond Evan Mobley in this draft, who would it be?
1: Oh, that is a tough question. It, you know, it might, I, and this is at five or just in general?
0: This is at one and five for the Thunder. But again, just in general, wow. I, I've, I've put up a scenario Man. where we can control that. And we know that whoever you pick will not get picked before five. We're going to control this draft and rig it.
1: So you would Suggs. want to pair K together for this uh. team. Yeah, very little defensive uh, they can versatility in the backcourt, they can switch off whenever offensive duties can be split, they can both play off each other. It's a and they both have crazy upside with crazy fours. It's a beautiful match.
0: That's interesting. And so in, in this scenario, w- would you roll a lineup out there of Cade, Suggs, Shea, what would it be Baisley and, and and you find a big man somewhere or, or poker and basically play Poku. small ball five? Yep.
1: What would you do? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And what's crazy with that is you could probably put Cade at the four on defense. There were a couple of times where um, ah, I wish I could remember who had tweeted it, but somebody put that Cade could play five uh, on defense, which blew me away because I mean, he is six, eight, but probably almost seven foot wingspan. It's not that surprising. Like if you put a small ball, I mean, last night, or sorry, on Wednesday night, uh, excuse me, Tuesday night, because I don't know my days, the Nets rolled out a lineup with Jeff Green at center. So like, it's not the craziest thing, I'm pretty sure he's six eight six nine, So something like that, I, I do think Cade could play up defensively.
0: Now, I've been accused of twisting your words about Evan Mobley and Kevin Durant, which everyone listening to this podcast has heard that oh God. saying, and they know oh I did <laughs> not twist anything at all. So I do want to give you the opportunity to clarify this, because I already had this as a question, and I think that you've already answered it, but I want to make sure. I had a question about who you think could shake up the top five uh, and for, go from – Clearly outside of this top five to after the combine, after the pre-draft workouts, after the pre-draft interviews, can all of a sudden we're sitting there like Ben's, like, like Bill Simmons going, whoa, this guy got drafted and this other guy didn't. Is it James Boog Knight or is James Boog Knight just your personal favorite and, and he's not necessarily the guy that you think can actually be a Anthony Bennett type of pick?
1: Right. So to clarify, my big board is always going to be where I see this playing out in five, 10 years when all, when all these guys are retired, anything like that um the mock drafts are much different so I don't expect book Knight to go top five by any means that's an unrealistic expectation at this time I do think though that if there was one guy to come up and do that it would be one of the Tennessee guys it's going to be Jaden Springer Keon Johnson who suddenly springs into well no pun intended Springer but who gets into the top five that just came out of nowhere because Springer is young so is Keon and they both have a lot of two-way potential
0: if if the Thunder don't cash in these two top five picks and, and they get stuck with, you know, five and eight or something like that, I would love Keon Johnson in Oklahoma City. So real quick about Keon Johnson, what's the, what's the most tantalizing thing about his game that you're mostly looking forward to?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's his athleticism and I think he's got three-level scoring upside. You know, the stats won't support that right now because I think he shot like low 30s. Um, I'm actually pulling it up, he shot... from three and 70% from the line, obviously, you know, those aren't great numbers that support projecting shooting. However, his form is pretty nice. And I think it's very projectable. And I like 70% is right in that swing number. It's like 69 to 73 is a swing free throw percentage for shooting. I, I would give him the benefit of the doubt, crazy motor, really smart, great off ball defender. He's got too much to fail. So I think he would work out regardless.
0: I am very fascinated by his game, and I think that he can kind of be that that best of the rest type of, of player. But you mentioned the tank battle that, that's going on right now. And before our next break, I want you to let me know how you see this shaking out, because right now it's Houston, Orlando, Minnesota, Detroit, and Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is two games back of Detroit for four. Uh, and how do you see it shaking out well, with the, with these all these teams? And it seems like Minnesota does not care about tanking, and they're just going to try to – gain some momentum and get some wins here, uh, they the stretch. Where do you see Oklahoma city finishing and who do you think has the worst record in the NBA?
1: Yeah. So I think, I think Houston's going to get the worst record. I'm pretty confident in that one. Um, I didn't even realize my Orlando magic are number two. Um, but I think, I think the bottom three before the lottery is going to be Houston. Ah, man, I want to say Detroit will win three more games, which will put him ahead of OKC, but, I don't know. That's a tough one. I think it's going to be Houston. Any combo of either it's going to be one of Minnesota, Detroit and Oklahoma city is how I would project. I think Orlando will win a couple more games.
0: Do you see any shot where Oklahoma city leaps into the top three? Because the top three is really really where you want to be because you get that 14% chance of, of getting that top overall pick.
1: Right. I think they have a very good chance at three. Again, I think Minnesota and Detroit, have they're they're better than their records both teams that's what okc has going for them and okc is worse than their record right now because they're the roster they're pulling out is not what they had in november december and january when they were winning
0: it's great that you see houston being the the worst team in the nba because that means that the thunder have a 47.9 percent chance of getting that pick as it lands at five but coming up let's do our three spins of the week and see what scenarios mean what for oklahoma city but first, I want to tell you about your friends over at betonline.ag. Betonline.ag is incredible. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sport action. Baseball season is in full swing. You can track all the action on betonline.ag. This week has a ton of sports action on the go on the NFL Draft, and the Kentucky Derby is beginning its first leg of the Triple Crown this weekend. Check them out today. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sports needs, including the MLB, NBA. NHL, UFC, and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to betonline.ag on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their playoff runs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportbook experts. Promo code LOCKEDON will get you that 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag, promo code
2: LOCKEDON. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. We
1: are
0: back on Locked on Thunder. I'm Ryland Stiles. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland I'm talking with Richard Stamen. Follow him on Twitter at MavsDraft, And he's the host of Locked on NBA Draft. Richard, we do a segment where we spend three times on Tankathon.com. And we explain what scenarios would mean what for Oklahoma City. Our first spin of the day is Oklahoma city getting picks two and picks five grading this from 10 being the best one being the worst. I'm putting this at a 10 because you get those two top five picks. Where are you putting this at?
1: Yeah, it's a nine. I mean, you don't get Cade, which hurts, but everything else is great. (laughs) So
0: in this scenario, this, this world of two and five, I'm going to ask you this again. Do you view any package that that centers around two, five, you know, Baisley, a couple first-round picks to get Cade, or is even two and five not enough to get Cade Cunningham?
1: No, I think you would have to throw in at least one future-protected uh, pick. I I just – my thing is I don't think there's ever going to be a team that – like Cade's value as a guy alone is just so much better than potential – it's a quality versus quantity thing. I just don't see how a team – says, oh yeah, I would rather have the quantity. It would take a, would take a desperate move if they're short of assets maybe, but I, I don't think there's any way to trade up for one this year.
0: And at two out of five, who, who would you think Oklahoma City could get there? Would it be Evan Mobley for sure at two? or Would you maybe sneak in Suggs or somebody else at two? And, and who would you want at five?
1: I wouldn't overthink two. It would definitely be Mobley. Um, at five, depending on how the board falls, if Kuminga is there, I would be fine taking him. Uh, And if Green is there, you know, those are probably the first two I would look at because I think Suggs will go three. I'm pretty confident on that three or four. I can't really see him slipping past that. I would say there's six. I mean, those five guys really would be who I would look at. It's the leftover. You're happy with whoever you get and you don't worry about the fit.
0: So let's say that you get Evan and and Kaminga, your two picks. What would you say that that means for Oklahoma City moving forward as a team? You know, in the immediate future, you know, and then in the distant future. In the immediate future, are they going to tank again? Would you advise tanking again, or would you advise, you know what, roll them all out there? If they get to the play-in, great. If they lose fifty thousand games, that's great, also. Either way, you're you're seeing a good situation unfold, or would you purposely try for one way or the other?
1: I would probably lean doing whatever, honestly, just letting the letting it roll out how it should, but there's an argument to be made that tanking would be great with that lineup uh, because you would get, Kate, or uh, excuse me, Mobley needs to develop his body still. He's very skinny. And I think a, a year where he's going to be skinny in the NBA too for a little bit, his impact will be less, but it's still going to be positive. He's going to be one of the rare rookies to be a positive. And then Kaminga is still pretty far away with his jump shot. So you don't add a ton of current value. You get some out of Mobley, obviously, but um, I don't know how much that ends up being. He's still very hard to project as a rookie. I can project him after. It's just I don't know what his rookie year looks like. But Kuminga, I don't think he's going to be much of a positive year one. So I would probably lean tanking, but not going out of your way to tank. You're, you're okay with being in the lottery again, like in the deep. And it's lottery. just a
0: byproduct of the young players not necessarily closing out games or or being able to take advantage right. of certain matchups. Yeah, I think that that's. I think as long as you get two first round, two top five picks that's kind of the role you go. You don't purposely try to do anything. You, you don't set anybody, you, you don't try to send people away. You just see what happens. And if you lose a lot, you lose a lot. If you somehow win games and you're in the play already, that's a great experience for these young guys. And we'll see what happens uh, down the future. But if you do have a core of Kaminga and Mobley and Shea and Dort and Maldon and Basley, and Poku and still a ton of first round picks what would that future look like for you? Is that a championship waiting to happen? Is that a dynasty waiting to happen? Is that a competitive team for 20 years and then not really much else? You know, what would you project and forecast as the future of that team, knowing that you can have all these young pieces, but also go trade for a high impact veteran uh, as we know that the stars get the scruntled left and right in the NBA? You kind know, of Where would you see that core moving forward? Would it be championship level or not there yet?
1: I think it has championship potential. Just the fact that you could, give up a lot of assets to get two superstars, two stars. You could easily get a Bradley Beal and Carl Anthony Towns and probably still have a positive level of assets available uh, one way or another through a players or through draft picks. I, I think that it's unprecedented. Almost. We really haven't seen this many picks from one team with this many young players with upside because say you keep Poku, Bazley, or not even basically Poku, and SGA right now like that's the two guys who three years from now are on the team, uh, like from this moment, and then you add Karl Anthony Towns, Bradley Beal, and Evan Mobley right say they stay and then Kuminga in this scenario gets traded, yeah that's that's an un, that's an elite four man combo like you have the potential to make a big four and still have room for error, that's unprecedented.
0: That's, that's music to everybody's ears. And the second spin <laughs> is less fun, though. The second spin is six and 16, which is quite frankly oh a disaster. Six and 16 because Houston keeps their pick and you get Miami's pick instead. And your pick drops below five. And now you're just stuck here. Would you go Boog Night at six? And what happens at, at 16? Kind of what's the. What's the drop-off here? Because we just talked about how in two and five, you, you can start your, your path to a dynasty and start your path to a four-headed monster where you're winning championships. How does that drop whenever you get six and 16 instead?
1: Yeah, so the way I would look at the top five is it's almost like you, there's a great balance of floor and upside. Outside of Kaminga and maybe Green, I don't think Green has a crazy low floor. Um, most of the guys have a pretty good margin of error Uh, margin for error but obviously as it drops off that six is where it kind of just becomes a little bit different I think at least with one of them you take a swing for the upside and probably the 16 as it you know just a few minutes ago I was talking about how the 11 to 20 guys on my board are a lot of upside picks there's a ton of upside in that range and I think that's when you swing and at six you take a guy I mean I don't know who you would take I don't know I don't know if Book Knight is going to rise to that level yet. I, I really don't know if he's going to, you know, because he could be the 13th pick but still play like the sixth best player, fifth best player, but I don't know if he would go sixth. Um, I would probably take Scotty Barnes. I think he would be a really good fit just being – he's the closest prospect we've seen to Draymond probably uh, since he came out of the league or came out of Michigan State, so he would be one. And then at 16, I mean, the options are crazy for upside.
0: And then the last spin is five and six, which is not great, not terrible. It's just good. I mean, you're going to get one of the G League guys probably, and you can take your swing at six and see if you can, um, you know, maybe get a high upside guy that pans out. Or would you take five and six and maybe could you trade up to three with that package, or do you think that the top three, top four are kind of off limits?
1: No, I think you can move to three. I, I think three for five and six might do it. Um, it depends on how the sixth prospect ranking kind of unfolds because right now the six spot is an absolute mystery nobody has a consensus on that whatsoever um but another avenue i would consider is take someone at five right you probably get kumenga based on how everything's playing out and then trade six down to ten get a few more assets and then take one of the high upside guys i think it's almost better to just move down and take those swings than taking the swing at six
0: interesting I, i like that and you know that sam presti likes to take those swings but richard this was awesome. You'll be on the show a ton. You already have been, so I appreciate all your time before this. But you went to the show a ton as we enter the off season and start focusing more on this crucial NBA draft. Like as we just went through this exercise, can truly change uh, the future of this franchise uh, in a huge way, in one direction or another. But again, Richard, thank you so much for joining. Let them know where they can find all of your work.
1: Yeah, at Mavs Draft on Twitter, MavsDraft.com is where I post my mocks, big boards. Uh, anything like that, scouting reports, all of it. Um, and then also I am on the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, and I do my shows on Tuesdays.
0: Check it out, Tuesdays Locked On NBA Draft. Again, for Richard Stamen, I'm Ryland Stiles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Stiles. Until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another.